Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited to have today's guest in Brett Yormark, COO of Rock Nation, along with my co-host, Andy Dolich. And excited to talk to Brett about his career path, his journey, uh, but the true intersection of sports and entertainment. He's been fortunate enough to live on both sides of it. Uh, and as Andy will say, every athlete wants to be an entertainer and every entertainer wants to be a pro athlete. So we'll get into kind of a little bit of what that world is like. And uh, Andy, you want to tip it off, kick it off? What, what do we got? Yeah. So, Brett, um, you know, people uh, have their virtual backgrounds when COVID started. They were in Hawaii or Bali and and it makes your head look silly and you can't move your arms. So I'm glad to see you have a real background. What I do in my office here is I have hats of all the places that I've worked or people that I know. Um, I'm just guessing you you were uh, you've got a bunch of hats, too. You're not wearing them right now. I am. But um, other than going back to when you were born, can you uh, have our listeners get a snapshot of the places you've been and how you've seen this industry grow from maybe pre-ESPN to the multi-billion dollar global impact that it generates today? Well, first of all, thank you for having me today. Thrilled to be on the, today's podcast, and, and Andy, so nice to see you after all these years. Um, you know, I've been blessed. I've had an incredible journey to date. You know, I call it my own personal progression ladder. Uh, as you and maybe some of your listeners know, I, I was with the Nets uh, four times. And uh, in between some of those stops, I worked So, at Brett, Nets. that breaks, I'm a serial interrupter, that breaks Billy Martin's record managing the Yankees only three yeah. times, right? Four times yeah. with the Nets. Wow. So I was with the Nets on multiple occasions. It's where I broke into the business in 1988 selling tickets. And then ultimately over time, uh, I was invited back, you know, in 2005 to be the CEO. But outside of my different stops with the New Jersey Nets and then Brooklyn Nets, I had an opportunity to hone my skills along the way. Um, I, I created my own progression ladder, you know, as it relates to my career. And I thought as the industry was evolving, I needed to do so professionally, um, especially after I started with the Nets in 1988. Um, I, I went and sold television for various sports teams uh, across the NBA and Major League Baseball and hockey, knowing that teams at a certain point in time would take in that inventory and sell it on their own. I then went to the Detroit Pistons, and they were one of the first teams to build their own venue in, in, in um, Rochester Hills. And there I was able to hone my skills and really learning more about what it was like to sell brick and mortar, lifestyle marketing, they had Pine Knob, uh, outdoor amphitheater, et cetera, et cetera. So that gave me an incredible menu from a sales perspective to go out there and sell and hone my skills. 
um, which I felt was very, very important as the industry was getting more consolidated and teams were you know, controlling more of their, their assets and inventory. Uh, I ultimately spent some time at NASCAR knowing that I wanted to truly grow my, my network nationally when you think about sponsors and, and, and the commercial side of the business. Uh, and then ultimately, I was afforded an opportunity to be the CEO of the Nets, um, which ultimately was my, my career goal. I, even when I started in 1988, I always wanted to be a president of a team. And my progression ladder took me to that moment. And along the way, I was able to hone my skills, whether it was working nationally for NASCAR or working in Detroit in a, in a more diverse um, you know, situation when you think of music and sports and entertainment. And when I look back on my career now, um, you know, the, the foundational part of it and the places that I spent significant amount of time really enabled me, you know, to ultimately become a CEO uh, of, a, of a major sports team and then ultimately transition over here to Rock Nation. And how did that transition uh, sort of come to you at, at Rock Nation? Well, there was always a, a discussion. You know, Jay-Z was a minority owner of the, of the Nets. He was, he credentialized in many respects our move from Jersey to Brooklyn. And you hear that, he, Jake, the word credentialized. Add credentialized. That that's a new one. That's I, don't a know if we've, I don't know if we've used that on the podcast. No, before. that's well, the listen, first one, Brett, credentialized. You, you guys can take it now. Okay. Um, yeah, but you're so, paying him 10 cents anytime we use it. Yes, that's true. So, you know, th there was always that conversation of uh, when my journey was over uh, with the Brooklyn Nets that I would transition over and, and partner with Jay and help him run his company. Uh, in the fall of 2019, um, after being in Brooklyn for seven years, uh, we sold the team to Joe Sy, And it was a perfect transition moment for me personally um, to pass the baton, so to speak, in Brooklyn and join Jay, which I've done. And you know, we you you kicked off today's podcast about talking about the cross the intersection between sports and right. entertainment. And I guess in some respects, I learned that in Brooklyn. You know, Barclays Center when we when we built it, we we had the notion that it was always going to be bigger than basketball. And by defining it being bigger than basketball, it meant it would be the epicenter of both sports and entertainment in downtown Brooklyn. In fact, Jay Z truly bridged the world of entertainment slash music and sports when on the first of eight nights when he opened the building in the fall of 2012, he launched the Nets new identity to the world. He took Brooklyn and the Nets to the world while he was on stage performing, you know, in, for, you know, in one of the eight sold out shows that, that um, he did to kick, you know, to open up Barclays Center. So that to me was really the first introduction of how music and sports and really entertainment converges. And it was an incredible moment for us. Um, and, you know, it, 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 Barclays Center went on to become a, a destinational building beyond just basketball. And, you know, it, it kind of piqued my interest, you know, the music side of the business through that experience. And now transitioning over to Rock Nation, and I've been here for the last two and a half years, um, I often describe my job here as doing similar work than what I was doing in Brooklyn, but playing in a different area of the sandbox. Right. Uh, 
which has been, you know, very good for me. Well, you're always, you're always learning, right? Um, yep. And you mentioned something before, which uh, we've talked about a lot on these podcasts with leaders of the industry, selling, right? Selling tickets. That was how I started. That's sort of how Jake got started. If you look at the C-level offices of many institutions, and I take nothing away of analytics, metrics, people that are coding at two o'clock in the morning, living in the cloud, um, but it's those individuals, those men and women who started out selling, because that's what the business is. If you don't have anybody buying your product, uh, whether it's a digital recording or a courtside seat for $10,000, you're out of business. And so if you could just spend a moment talking about learning the world of sales, and you interview hundreds, thousands of people over time who want to work in the cool business, and they just tell you that they know everything in the world, but then you turn to them and say, well, um, Susan, tell me about your experience in sales. And like you, you've just given them a Cobra to put in their lap. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, uh, Andy. When I look back on my career and I, I feel very blessed because obviously the sports world has grown and become so much more contemporary. But when I started, it was only 25 members of the front office. That included everything <laughs> from basketball operations to sales, to marketing, to PR, to game presentation, you name it. And, and I was afforded the opportunity day one, literally, of here's a pad, here's a pencil, there's your chair and phone, dial for dollars. So no different than you and, and Jake, I came up through that revenue channel. That's exactly right. <laughs> See that? And I look back on it now, and for me personally, there was no better way to do it. And when I do interview people, you know, it is glamorous as our business might seem from the outside. It's a grind business. I tell them you're using the wrong G. It's not glamorous. It's a, it's a grind business. Good one. And, and as part of that grind business, you know, it truly is a revenue business. Um, and you got to understand, you know, the revenue verticals. And tickets, obviously, are, I mean, no one's done it better than you is the lifeblood of a franchise. And, you know, thankfully, I, I, I was able to grow up, um, you know, under, and within the business, understanding the ticket business. Now, I gravitated to the sponsorship business. Okay, I'm not saying you have to be a lover of ticket sales. And I wasn't. But it was no, because we wanted to make money and you could make more money selling a hundred thousand dollar sponsorship and now a million. And <laughs> but but. I had to learn the ticket business. And you know, one of the things I, also, I often see in the business now is people gravitate to what they like and what they wanna do. And unfortunately in this business, you can't just do that. You know, I couldn't just gravitate to the sponsorship business because maybe it was more lucrative or sexy right. or got me into the boardroom. You had to earn your way in. Yeah, you, you had to earn your way in and you had to learn foundationally you know, what's most important to the business. And, um, and obviously tickets, you know, we're, we're certainly that, you know, it's interesting. You know, people ask me, even today, Brett, how'd you find Barclays? How, what, what, how'd you find Barclays and ultimately the Barclays Center? And I said, you know, it's interesting because I was dialing for dollars 
And I came across the top executive of Barclays and he thought I was pitching him tickets. <laughs> and that, and when he, when he agreed to take the meeting, he thought I was going to come in and sell him a suite or some kind of ticket package. Lo and behold, did he know that I was going to sell him a naming rights? And, you know, my, my ambition was far greater than just tickets, but um, that ticket, you know, call, so to speak, got me into the door to ultimately get someone to consider, you know, really Americanizing their brand and putting their name on what- So I Jake, I'll throw it to you being a few years younger than, than Brett and I, and what you're doing now is you're creating your progression ladder. And we have, we have another breakthrough on, on life in the front office. I think Brett just talked about the number one upsell in sports history. Right, the number one upsell from from tickets to naming rights. So, Jake, your your generation in what Brett just talked about, what what do you take from that? Well, I think it's interesting, and and Brett, I was going to ask you this uh, throughout the episode: is you talk about your progression ladder, creating your you know your path, right? And I think a lot of times people will look at someone and they go, "I want to be them," right, or I want, I want that, you know, president's bar. I want to do this, or I want to be the GM. And they always, they always think about, I want to be somebody else, but you talked about yourself, right. And creating your own path. And I think it's fascinating that um, you had that vision for what you wanted to become. What are some thoughts or advice that you'd have for others on how to create that vision for themselves and not chase what someone else is, right. I think that's, that's, kind of the often trap that some people fall into. Yeah. You know, I learned at an early age, Jake, and I don't, not that someone sat me down and kind of gave me guidance, but I learned at an early age that I could take the best from everyone that I had interfaced with or I had come, you know, in close contact with, but ultimately create my own journey uh, along the way. And I've had mentors. I've had people that I looked up to in the industry but I wasn't going to let anyone else's path define mine. Um, I, I wanted to define my own journey, my own path, but take from different experiences that I'd heard about or, or learned about. And ultimately what I did is I visualized where I wanted to go and what I felt I needed in order to get there, what skill sets primarily that I needed to get there. And that's why I created this own personal progression ladder. And, you know, one step, built off the other uh, until I thought I was, you know, ready, if you will, at a young age to become a president of the, of the New Jersey Nets um, when I was 36 years old. And, but I would tell people that, you know, you know, have your own journey, create your own blueprint and your own path uh, to wherever that's going to take you. But, but along the way, take the best of what you've experienced or seen or witnessed and let that guide you a little bit. And that's what I did. And I worked for some great, great CEOs, but ultimately I, I wanted to find my own path. And you mentioned earlier in the episode that you had four stops at the Nets, right? And it was one of those things where people will leave a job now and they'll go somewhere else. And the, the rare chance that they actually go back, right, is probably far fewer than, than maybe in the past. But what was the lesson that you learned from the four stops of, keeping relationships intact and, and all of those things that you're supposed to do as opposed to burning bridges. 
Well, you know, interesting enough, when I kept going back to the Nets, it was always under new ownership. You know, whether they had heard of me or I went through an interview process, whatever the case might have been. But I'm a firm believer, and, and we all know this, I think, but you have to live it, is that we're in the relationship business. And that when the door closes, it's got to be able to go both ways. And um, always take the high road. And when you leave a job, leave it no different than, you know, the first day and, and how you entered that situation. And I've always believed that. And, I, and when people leave me and I wish them well and I tell them I'm excited about the journey ahead, I, I always give them, you know, a, a couple of words of advice to say, as you transition out of here, whether it was in Brooklyn or even for that matter here at Rock Nation, make sure you do it with your head held high. Make sure you do all the right things. Make sure you're beyond reproach. Because if, God forbid, it doesn't work out, you'll always be welcome to come back. And there are no, there's no secrets in today's world. And people always think in thought bubbles. They might say, oh, I loved working there. And then they'll go out on the street and bitch the crap out of everybody there. They're done that day. It's finished. They're over. And industry, you know, it's like the Baldwin scene, right? Where he goes, always be closing. Always be closing. Well, We've talked about it before, always be networking, always be networking, because as you just said, oh, yeah, Jay-Z, uh, I know him. Um, he's involved. I think back to the Memphis Grizzlies when I was there, you know, I, I asked people like, hey, are you friends with JT? And they go, JT, who's JT? I go, Justin Timberlake. He was, you know, he was at all of our games. He became an owner. Right. And if you look at the ownerships of the 122 teams in the big four sports um, and other places around the world, you'll find multiple uh, masters of entertainment as part of those ownerships. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. So. Um, so anyway, you know, relationships is key. That's what I think this this industry, probably more so than most, is really built on. And. And uh, I think the leaders in our industry really value that. And, they, and it's not just a word, but they live it every day. So a, que a question um, for you, Brett, this, this entity uh, has become, you know, our, our addiction in today's world. The and phone, the phone that is. People, uh, not me, yeah. Uh, and people pay attention for between one and three seconds to anything, right? So you're in this juxtaposition of sports, entertainment, share of mind. Looking into your progression ladder or your crystal ball where people just aren't paying attention, how do, how do you see the industry? And when I, I, I think, you know, sports and entertainment are the same industry to a certain extent. Um, what do you see some of the key factors, um, sort of uh, opportunities and challenges in today's mindset where nobody pays attention to anything? Well, I mean, listen, I, I faced it a little bit in Brooklyn and um, uh, even now, but I, I think there's nothing like the, the live experience. And I think we've, we've heard it in the industry. We as a collective group need to make sure that we're giving everyone a reason to attend our games, attend our concerts, attend our events, whatever they might be, our festivals. And yes, you know, that phone can be an enhancement. And you saw this past year at the Super Bowl, 
what Verizon did um, and Pepsi to make bring you closer to that halftime show. But there was nothing like being there live. Um, so I look at the phone as as an enhancement to take you to places you typically can't get to or be during that live experience. But nothing replaces live. And I think we as an industry just need to do as good a job as we've done and probably in some cases better in giving people a reason to keep going. Yeah. You know, these world-class events. I mean, you, you think about the NCAA last night. Um, biggest comeback ever. People are going to be speaking about that game for, for years. And, you know, so I'm a big advocate of the live experience, but we just got to keep enhancing it. We can enhance it through technology um, and just give people, a, a you know, a, a better and you're, you're absolutely right when you think about, you know, everyone that came to New Orleans and then those people back in Lawrence, Kansas. I've always thought that sports is the last town square left in our society. Yep. Where people of all backgrounds can get together and in most cases treat each other as friends, have fun. And it's not a fun world out there in a lot of places, but... Not that it, not that it's a fantasy world. It's real, and you find social interaction in sports and entertainment that you rarely find in other areas. Andy, you know, I, I witnessed it um, last fall. We were the one of very few festivals that in twenty one, you know, brought our event back, and it's in downtown Philadelphia. It was our tenth anniversary. It's called Made in America. Jay Z curates it. 80 plus artists um, and the pent up demand for that event. Um, we sold more tickets that weekend than we had in the nine previous years. And there was an uptick in, in, in COVID uh, in last fall, as we all know, but there's nothing like creating that community feeling and engaging with your friends and family. And um, as long as we can keep raising the bar and providing a better experience, um, I mean, listen, it's, it's a wonderful industry to be in and, I, and it's not going anywhere. In fact, I think it's just gonna get better. Live Nation recently announced that this could be their most successful year ever when you think of festivals and tours and, and ticket sales. So- Right. It, and you, you, know, you just talked about Live Nation, Rock Nation. It is everybody together without a concern of background. So Jake, uh, you know that Brett and I can talk to later tonight, uh, right during, right through Antipasto and, and into the main course. And we will have you back again, Brett. You're, well, you're in the family now, but Jake, why don't you take us home and uh, we, can, we, we can then talk about what the future holds. I got a, I got a heavy hitter for, for Brett as we, as we wrap up. You know, you obviously spent quite a bit of time with the Nets and, and now with Rock Nation, and you've got uh, a legacy that you, I'm sure you want to leave on the industry. When you think about legacy, what is what comes to mind? Because you talked about progression ladder, you talked about, you know, other pieces of advice, but legacy for those who are maybe towards the, you know, the, the back half of their career, and they're thinking about those types of things. What thoughts come to your mind? I mean, for, so I never got into the business, you know, for, to have a legacy moment. And thankfully, like no different than you and Andy, we've all had great moments in what we've been doing. 
but when I look back on my career, at least now, and I still think I have hopefully a decent amount of years ahead of me, what we did in Brooklyn was a legacy moment. I mean, taking Brooklyn to the world, a market that was underserved in sports entertainment, relocating the Nets there against all odds, and you guys know the story and the delays in getting there, was a monumental moment, not just for me, but for the community of Brooklyn, the 2.6 million people that live there and everyone that was involved. The other part that I'm really happy about is the amount of people that I've been able to affect along the way. When, when I think about the people that I grew up in the industry with, people that worked for me and with me and where they are now you know, in their journeys, their personal journeys, it, it's really nice to see. You know, my, my head of programming in Brooklyn is now the president of entertainment at Hard Rock Hotels globally. My intern, Mike Zavatsky um, in Brooklyn um, is now the chief you know, business officer at the Detroit Pistons. And the list goes on and on. And that makes me feel really good. In fact, this past Super Bowl in LA, I was getting texts and emails from many of my former colleagues saying, Brett, are you gonna be out in LA for a Super Bowl? And I said, yes, yes I am. And we ended up doing an impromptu reunion of 12 of my former colleagues all getting together for a drink. And I gotta tell you that moment, you know, the hour I spent with them, one of the best hours I've had in years. And it's just nice to see people grow and experience and that you had a little bit of, you know, a part of that, that journey that you were able to share with them. So, you know, the legacy in Brooklyn was fantastic, but the people that I've been able to work with and for, that to me is really, you know, the, the importance of my career. And when I look back, you know, probably gives me the most satisfaction. Incredible. I think uh, as Andy talks about family, right? Keeping, you've got your own family and then you've got your family that you have throughout the industry. So Brett, really appreciate the insights, advice. Um, certainly as, as Andy said, we'll, we'll have you on again here in the near future and uh, best of luck throughout the rest of 2022. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.